You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Rodney Ede. Rodney is a four-time premiership player in the Australian Football League. After retiring, he started his coaching apprenticeship and within five years was elevated into his first head coach role at the Sydney Swans taking over from the legendary Ron Barassi in 1996. In his first year, he took the team to the grand final, only for them to lose to the Kangaroos. As a result, he was awarded the AFL Coach of the Year. He went on to take the team into the finals for four of the next five years. In 2005, he was appointed head coach of the Western Bulldogs, and in 2006, the team played finals for the first time in six years. In 2011, he was appointed football and coaching strategist by the Collingwood Football Club, replacing the iconic Mick Malthouse, and in 2014 was appointed Gold Coast Suns head coach. He has coached 377 AFL games and owns the record of the longest-serving coach without a premiership. Rodney Ede has played for some of the most iconic coaches that the game of Australian rules football has ever produced. He has also coached players who have gone on to lead their own teams to premierships. As a leader, he strives to find the balance between challenge and care in order to, in his words, 
get the best out of the individual. He is self-reflective and mindful of some of the things he could have done better as a coach, but he is also firm in his belief that change comes through hard work and an open and curious mind, where the individual takes ownership of their own learning and problem solving. Rodney is a great example of perseverance, and some of the key parts of this interview that connected with me were the importance of innovation and change to team performance, and how the leader needs to create the mindset within the group for this to happen. How culture is displayed through team habits, which in turn are formed by the values that the team sets themselves, and where culture is self-regulating, it is much more effective as it works against negativity. And how great coaches have a consistency of message, are honest, have integrity, and are not afraid to make the hard decisions. This is a terrific conversation, and I hope you enjoyed as much as Jim and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. So Rodney Eade, thank you for joining us. Great to be on board uh, the other side of the world, so good to talk, Paul. Where are you in the world today? I'm in Melbourne town in uh, lockdown. How's that for rhyming? Yeah, in lockdown here in lovely Melbourne. So greatest place to be at the moment, unfortunately, with the new rules and regulations and uh, restrictions that are on board. So, But hopefully we can get on top of this, this crazy situation that's occurring at the moment. It's a great opportunity for us to steal some of your time and talk about great coaches. And I wanted to start by just asking you about, you've been really lucky in your career. You've had some great firsthand experience from some of the greats. Parkin, Jeans, Pagan, and that's just to name a few. John Kennedy was my first one. And the great JK for one year, then then Parker, then Jeansy, and then obviously Dennis as well. What do you think these great coaches do differently from the ones that aren't as successful? Good question, because coaching's changed so much. So what good coaches or great coaches are, say Clarkson or whatever, so different from even though he he played under John as well. And I suppose the similarities and what you think – Probably in the older days, and you talk about Boracian as well, they were very hard taskmasters, which is not as relevant or prevalent today. But I think it's the consistency of message. It's the honesty and integrity and being able to, you know, today's really all about, they say about relationships, developing that side of it. But even in the olden days, there was, there was still a bit of that as well, but not as focused. But I think it's the integrity of the people, their, their strength of the three of them really that I had, and even Dennis Pagan at North, the strength of character and the strength of leaders. So you want to, even though you mightn't agree with them at times, it was their conviction and their strength and they're able to follow. So they're able to not bend to other people's minds. They weren't scared to make hard decisions, which is still relevant today. And I worry about some of the, not worries with the right phrase, but laugh, not chucking on myself some of the new age coaches and about players and teams not doing what they ask. But you can tell that's very cuddling and mollycoddle the, the players a bit. So this younger generation um, probably need to be a bit sterner with the direction. But anyway, that's, uh, that's my vent at this stage. <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit about the changes that have happened over your coaching journey. But I wanted to just wind back a little bit and ask you a different question to begin with, which is I read where you said you've got to get the whole club on the one page. I don't think you're mm-hmm. just a team coach. You're a club coach. So with that context, could you explain the role of the coach today in Australian rules football? Yeah, there's, oh, it's, it's multidimensional. Obviously, sell a vision to the player with your game plan and where you want to head to be successful. There's a getting the players on board as well as the staff, as a football staff, give them direction, but as well as support. It's trying to get the best out of them. So whatever 
each person needs and player needs, and sometimes it might need a stern hand and others a bit more cuddling. So it's about getting the outcomes. Your really role is to get the best out of the person, get the best out of the individual. And they're done. Not everyone's the same, so you've got to treat everyone a little bit differently along the way. But the club coach, I think that you're all got to be on the same page. It's marketing and media and whatever, administration, and they all got to feel that they're part of it as well because you can't have people pulling in different directions. Now, I've heard some successful AFL coaches have really been all about the team and don't worry about the club. And it causes friction. But they still become successful. So that's counterintuitive to what I'm saying, but eventually that splits open a bit and there's always a bit of angst. But I think like any organisation in a corporate world, there's a lot of things that aren't similar. But to me, culture and all those sort of things are similar because you're dealing with people and we've all got a common goal. Now, in the corporate world, some people might clock on and clock off and that's my job and haven't got aspirations. They're probably role players that you have in a footy club who are just happy to be part of it. But generally, most people are aspirational. They want their own, say in your company, their, their own little cells and teams and groups have got their aim, their goals. They want budgets. They want to aim to get and they have to do it together. And well, the marketing department can't work unless the production company works, unless the sales department works. They they all might fight each other, but they're all dependent on each other. And it's the same in a footy club. There's no good fighting someone because at the end of the day, the footy department needs the marketing department because they've got to raise money for a football department to spend it. I think a, a coach has got a vital role of uniting, kind of got the great ability because everyone's looking at them and they're the leader of the club, have a vital part of uniting everyone together that they're on the on the same page. And I guess when you started your playing career back in the 70s, the team... That's a long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, well, not so long ago there, Rod. But I guess the team didn't have all the support functions and staff that you were talking about, whereas today, you know, it's a large organisation. So what are the the key big changes you think have occurred with that role over time? Over the years, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I started coaching senior footy in 96, and I had one assistant coach. So probably when I was playing... Certainly Kennedy, probably Parker to a degree and even Gigi mightn't have been full-time. They weren't full-time as coaches either. So their assistant coaches would have been part-time and or had jobs themselves. So that contact time with the players and development was not there. Slowly over a period of time, it changed. And I think my experience, the biggest changes has been the explosion of, of going to full-time explosion of Assistant coaches, the ancillary around that, like IT is one, high performance is another one. So the, the analytics of the game, the high performance part, the the, science, the sports science area have been probably big explosions and a little create an industry within itself. Now with COVID, that's going to be cut back. That's going to be, you know, the AFL, I imagine in a lot of sports, we have a big uh, staff that'll cut back. They're going to have to cut back money. So we've bolstered generally the last few years, been up to about 10 probably. Some in previous that probably got to 12, but generally about nine or 10. They'll probably cut back to five now. So that's been the biggest change there. And I think how we prepare athletes and the sports science of it. Now, the preparation dietary was always in you know, 20, 30 years ago, but that's gone to another level. But what fluids you take, how you perform the testing, taking your bloods, et cetera, et cetera. How the recovery, still the thing they haven't got on top of, and it's at all sports, is soft tissue injury, hamstrings. And I'd love to be able to, if you yeah, if I had the scientific knowledge, I suppose no one be able to preempt and pre-predict players when they're about to do soft tissue. So you don't play them, and what you need to do, we haven't got to that stage. It's still 
still occurring at the same rate it always has. That's the biggest area, I think, or those two areas, the ones that exploded in the last 30 years. Rod, if I could take you back a little bit to your time at Hawthorne. It was an iconic club, one of the most successful periods of team history and the long history of Australian North football. And many, many players that you were playing alongside with have gone on to become coaches. What was it about that environment or that culture that created such a nursery for future coaches? Yeah, it's a good point. I, I think it's probably one of two or both points is successful teams generally generally spit out guys that are going to coach. So probably as much them thinking that they can coach it because the team's been successful, but also probably other teams think, well, they know the recipe for success. And I think a bit of probably the men that coached Hawthorne that time generated, especially probably not so much John, I only had the one year into John, but David was very more scientific in his approach and analytical. So that got my mind thinking. And Gingy, in his own way, probably a bit more like John, but probably a bit more communication-based and relationship-based, especially you know, probably half the team or so. But that probably generated people to think about it. And just on the thinking on the spot, probably about that time when Gingy was coaching in the mid-80s, when we started to be successful, under him, he was actually asking a few more questions. And I think that's generated now where we, we involve players, and I suppose you call it where we involve people in the decision-making process and giving them a voice. And what that does, it opens up for questioning and challenging, and which is good in one way, but it's also counterproductive that they don't do what they're told and hang on, we've all got a voice, so you have the lunatics run the asylum. I think it's even that time with Gingy, I think he provoked our thoughts and guys' thoughts process to think about their football a bit more. And I think an extension of that was, okay, perhaps I can coach. And I think being a successful group, I think those two factors together generated a lot of the Hawthorne guys. I wanted to just ask you for a minute there about everyone having a voice because it's leadership groups are everywhere now. We live in a very high (laughs) feedback culture. Some people have a, some coaches have a mixed view on them. What's your view? It's good that people want to have a voice and it's good that they are happy for feedback, but they've got to accept feedback as well. A lot of the younger people today, they only want positive feedback. They don't want room for improvement feedback. Let's, Let's not call it negative. It's about how you can get better. Well, I was always brought up and trying to get my coaching, how we can get people to be better. How can I get you as a player, Paul, to be better? Now, to, for you to be better, I've got to give you feedback. That's areas to improve. And some people don't want to know that. Just tell me I'm going well. Well, you're not going to get better. So, And that comes back to leadership. I think leadership and culture and team being are, are all linked in the same circle. And you need you, one of those wedges don't work properly. They, they can all fall down. So good to have a voice, encourage that, encourage them to think, but... We need a good culture, how that's corralled and how that's developed, and then leadership overseeing that or uniting that together to say, hang on, yeah, okay, got your voice, but this is the way we're going to go, or give them a thought process that they think they're owning where it's going to go, rather than, as I said before, the lunatics. Right, the assignment with a leader, like in a coaching thing, sometimes you've got to have tough conversations with guys. They might like room for improvement feedback, or but you just got to... That's the way you deliver it and how you talk to them about that. And I think one of the education processes that we've lost with this feedback system in the world is how to take feedback. We're very good at how to give feedback, but how do you take it and how do you interpret it? And then education and talk process on that and given the mindset, we'll begin to mindset, have the mindset 
the growth mindset, okay, I'm getting better. It's not a criticism of me. It's not putting me down. It's about how can I get better, therefore the team's going to get better. Have you got any coaching tips, Rod, for people out there on how to help people take feedback or how to get better at taking feedback? <laughs> yeah, it depends on the individual. And everyone's different, as I mentioned before. Interesting when I was playing and then you read articles when I was doing coaching, you've got to treat everyone the same. Well, you can't treat everyone the same because we've all got different egos, different intellects, different insecurities, different jobs we play. We come from different backgrounds, different cultures. So we're all different. So if I pull the one lever for every player or every person in the corporate world, it's not going to work. So you need to get to build that to where the relationship be able to and then work out what the best way to give them how to how you talk to them about the way to take feedback. Generally, I do some education as a group and then I would talk to them individually and say, listen, Paul, the feedback we're giving you is only to get you to be better. You'll know if it's a criticism and I'll pull you aside one-on-one and I'll tell you in a stern voice, that's that's not good enough. So you just got to take that on board the way, okay. So most people get that if you go through it. Some people still don't because they're very, don't want to know about any shit. Then you've got to make a decision, are they the right person for us to go forward? So that, that'll eventually work itself out. But then as a leader, you've got to have to make a tough call, a tough decision to say, listen, it's not best for our company or not best for our team, even though they've got some talent but it doesn't fit our culture and where we want to go to. I want to ask you about culture in a minute, but I want to pick up firstly on honesty because I was preparing for today and just chatting to a few people and the word honesty comes up a lot um, when players yeah. and people that have worked with you talk about you. In fact, there was an article by one of your ex-players, Ed Barlow, when he was talking about your style and what he liked best, he said, I knew exactly what he thought of me and where I was in his future plans. And I'm wondering what advice you would have for other coaches on honesty and how to use it more strategically yes as long as you don't lie you can there's different ways of being honest it's always come back to and i learned this after a while was probably wasn't great at it early in my time is about what's best for the individual because my role is to get the best out of the individual if that person annoys the hell out of me and wondering what they're told and and really across purposes it's no good me holding that against them because I'm, I'm foregoing my responsibility as a coach. My responsibility is to get the best out of that individual. Okay, I've got to attack it differently. I've got to compromise maybe my style a bit. But at the same time, there's a demarcation line that you don't, not going to cross over and say, hang on, this is what we stand for. This is our values. And talk, come back to culture. This is what we're all bought into. So back to honesty. So if you're telling a player they don't tackle or they're a bit soft, it's, it's obviously the easy one in our game. You probably don't go and say that they're a coward. You're not going to get much out of that one. But be able to talk to someone about, but you've got to let them know that that's an area of concern and what they need to. So you've got to choose your words, which is applicable to that individual. You're not lying, but you're saying, Paul, you're probably not aggressive enough or you you got beaten a few times for the ball. You need to work on this area. So when you tell a person their weakness or their area of improvement, you've got to have a plan in place that you can help develop them to get to where you'd like to get them. There's no good me saying to you, you don't tackle, you're not hard enough, now go away and fix it because you're not going to fix it. I've got to have a development plan in place and say, listen, we'll put you with this coach, we'll hand you over this one, This you're a forward, he's the forward coach. We'll do A, B and C about training and then we'll monitor you along the way, but we'll get some feedback and it'll fluctuate, it'll oscillate. It's not going to be a linear growth as well. But it's just a choice of words, but at the same time you cannot compromise as a coach by avoiding not being honest with people because eventually it'll catch up with you. If I don't tell you that you've got a problem of your game that 
I don't like and you need to fix up. If I don't tell you and eventually drop you, you'll say to me, well, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me I wasn't tackling well? It'll bite you on the backside. But most will say, well, at least you told me. At least I knew where I stood. At least I knew where I had to work on and they needed, yeah, that's what I've always led. I suppose that's the three men at Hawthorne were the biggest one. It was about the honesty and that was up front and so this is this is where it's at. And our game too, it's a very instantaneous. It's not like corporate world where have an annual report every 12 months or you've got stakeholders or investment people. It's weekly. so you, And you've got a lot of invested people, your supporters and sponsors, the media, and you're getting reported on not only them as tough on players, but as a team. So you there's instant feedback in your face. So it's no good dealing with someone over a six-month period unless you see them, they're young and they're long-term. It's about, okay, we need to get better in the next week or two, next three weeks. We need to see some improvement. Otherwise... We have to make a, a decision at, at selection, go back. So there's a lot of elements to go into, but I don't think you can avoid by being honest with them because that will come back and you'll lose credibility with the players. So well, you didn't tell me. And then they'll talk to other players and that starts to erode. So. Sounds like, Rodney, though, that you've, you've matched your honesty with not being afraid to face into conflict, which is something a lot of coaches struggle with, mining for conflict, trying to resolve it, opening it up all the time. Is it something that you've worked on as a coach? Oh, I'd prefer not to have conflict. I think everyone, I mean, probably some people don't, but I think most people would. You know, you'd like to be able to have a conversation. And at times it's because of the personality, the people, what I've learned along the way, came better at it. Probably early on, I was probably too much into conflict and say, well, this is the way you do it. You don't do it. And it's quite stern. But you learn that the receptive mechanisms of people and their interpretation of things, it's about doing more investigation work and that's done by communication and asking questions and you find out what they're like. So they may have misinterpreted what I said in the start with. So you ask them, do you understand and give them voice to ferret that back to you? So it was probably my mistake by them, me assuming that they understood what I was talking to them about. Sometimes they didn't. So they interpreted the wrong way. So it's about taking a bit more time. And But if there is head-on conflict, well, there is. And sometimes it's more about the stage, well, now this is the way we're going. This is what we're doing. This is the plan. This is what I want you to be able to do. If you don't, if you can't do it, well, I don't know if I can play you. So an interesting one for me was the Michael Jordan doco. Did you see that? Yeah. Interesting one for me out of all that was the Scott Pippen one where he got upset. And the perception of Scott Pippen pre that and even post that and during the, the doco was why how the swing man, the, the number two one, supportive of his teammates and how a real positive. But that game where he wasn't given the ball to win the game and he spat the dummy, really, and then he was challenged by his teammates in the change rooms, which I thought was great. That's a good culture that's been able to challenge. The coach didn't have to do that. So that was that was terrific. But then, so therefore, he's he sucked up and I they won the game. That should override everything. We're here to win. We're not about individuals. That's my edict, I suppose. Team first, second, and third. You learn off John Kennedy, and that's end of story. And then, so Phil Jackson's made the tough call, given to the, whoever the Croatian guy, I think, and won the game. And but then Scott Pippen, when he's interviewed, said, "Oh no, I'm still dirty on it, and he still should have given me the ball." And I thought, "Gee, that's a really deep insight into the individual after that." So he's 95% fantastic, but this 5% is still. Well, wants to be the man. I suppose basketball, not critical basketball, with only five players can be more can more be more the case where one player can dominate. That was, yeah, how Phil Jackson handled all that and what a great man-manager he was. 
to be able to work that through and have those egos involved. Can I talk about culture now, actually? Because you took over from the legendary Ron Barassi in 1996 at Sydney and you started or had, you know, had a big part in building, I think, what's become one of the most famous sporting cultures in Australia, or it definitely will be, I think, when the history books are written in the future. And that was the, the culture of the Bloods at the Sydney Swans. I'd like to understand what advice do you have for coaches out there who are trying to improve a team's culture? What things do you think they should do first? You've got to believe in first that you have got a culture problem and then you want to have a culture and what that culture means. Like it's a pretty nebulous sort of word, isn't it? I mean, you can pluck it out and what does it really mean? To me, and everywhere you go in a corporate world, they'll have their value. It is values-based. You have a values up on the wall, you walk into a corporate room, corporate office. To me, that's a box-ticking exercise. It says, oh, we've got values, but do you abide by them? And really, culture is your ethos that stands every day. It's your habits. It's habit-forming, and you do it consistently over and over again. To get to that stage quickly, you need to work out your values, but it's the behaviours that drive those values. For me, culture is from the bottom up, not from the top down. It's not the board or the CEO or the coach telling, this is what our this is what our culture is and this is what we stand for. You go down and do it. They're not going to buy into it. It needs to be the workers, the players at the, at the bottom or any team situation that they drive what they want to stand for. What do you want to be known for? And I remember when I first went to the Western Bulldogs and posed that question to the players, they had no idea what I was on about. They just said, oh. And a few players, it was Daniel G in Syracuse, Robert Murphy came up to me and said, listen, can you just teach us to win? You coach, you know, we'll do what you tell us to do. You know, we don't want. So I went in my first year at the Bulldogs thinking, well, this is what I believe in. Culture has happened at Sydney and I want to get them to own the team and them to drive the behaviours. So I still drive the ship as far as with game plan and tactics and strategies and man management and all those sorts of things. So I had to balance an act of the, my first year of getting them. I did a, an exercise with them and out of this exercise came that they just lacked confidence and self-belief. So I went, oh, wow. So I thought, well, how do we get the confidence and self-belief? So that overrode my thoughts about the culture. So I had to juggle two at the one time. So I ended up getting them by the end of the year a lot of confidence and self-belief, just missed out in the finals by half a game, a bit unlucky. And that, so the confidence was cemented. So things that we'd done during that first year, the second year was, okay, boys, what do we want to stand for now? And I remember in the first year when we had that meeting, no one spoke. And then Scott West, who went on eight best and fairest, said, I want to be known that whether we're six goals up or six goals down, that we're still respected by our opponents and by our supporters that we're still having a go. So I love the word perseverance, but he had the word, in my mind, so just one word is compete. What does compete mean? So we had about five words we came up with. So you help drive them a bit, I suppose, steer them to get, but it was the behaviours that went to those words, to those values. So what does compete look like? How do, what do you guys as players, what do you think compete means? What do you want to see in your teammates about competition? And we spoke about professionalism. So it's about, then we worked out KPIs, how we can measure those behaviours game day, but also on our preparation off-field. So we split that. So it's pretty basic in many ways. And then we it's easy to get all that. Then it's about having the voice and the environment and safe environment that players can check each other on that and say, hang on. I remember reading an article on Hawthorne that one of the young players picked up Luke Hodge about he wasn't his behaviour didn't go to the value. And Hodge took it on board and said, yeah, thank you. Know, it's great. Okay, thanks for telling me that. I, sh- I should have 
what I've heard at other clubs, the best player in the competition, who best player in their team, was picked up in a review meeting and he didn't chase an opposition player and that player kicked a goal and the young person put it up and then got hauled over the coals by the coach. But you shouldn't have a goal that's the best player. That's why that trust again and your value system falls apart because we all need to be able to be on the same page. Now, it's a tricky thing and it's a it's a journey. It's not a destination. It's ongoing all the time and those values may change. So if you had that in your business, you'd have the club, you'd have the, the corporate values, whatever they are, but then each team or each cell might have something a little bit different pertaining to what they can keep each other. And if you've got that in a group, it makes the job of a coach much easier because they it's a self-regulating check many times. I call it, it's the water cooler stopper talk now people get to the water cooler and say oh it's paul's fault what about rodney oh what about what he said there and that feeds negativity it's a bit like a cancer well if you've got a good enough culture that person should be able to say hang on let's bring that over to the meeting let's have a chat and we have a talk about it so it stops that water cooler chat what i say but that's in a, in a nutshell really what you need to do but you need to believe in it and you need to monitor it and then you have to have a leadership group that okay where are we going on this how we think and you say to one leader, well, person X is saying that, how about you have a chat with him and, and might give them projects to help develop their leadership as well at the same time. Rodney, you-, you should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You just talked a little bit then about a couple of things. You talked about persistence and you talked about confidence and self-belief at the Western Bulldogs. You have the, I guess it's the unenviable record of being the longest serving AFL coach without a premiership, but you keep going. You just keep going. You keep putting yourself out there. You keep churning away, plying your trade. And I think it's fantastic. And it comes through in the words that are written about you and and the way that I think the players react to you as well. But I want to talk a little bit about self-doubt and how you've helped players deal with that doubt, particularly in a game like Australian rules football where fear can play a big part in people's performance on the field. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, looking back, time you talk about mental health and you hear about some players with mental health that I coached and players I played against and players I coached against, and we probably didn't do enough investigative work about you put an arm around them at times and they might be struggling and... No, well, they might go to other people. They didn't want the coach to know it. No, so I wouldn't know about it. But I think as a coach, sorry, there's genuine self-doubt amongst all players. And I'll talk about Tony Lockett in a minute. But the best players down to the youngest player. So it's all about, it's about. And I think as a coach, it's interesting. You don't have favourites. And I didn't really, we all have favourites, I suppose. You can't say that. But you tend to gravitate or like the players who work the hardest. 
they don't have to be the best player, but players who, especially self-made ones who are come against the odds, but the, also you might have some of the best players, like a Paul Kelly at Sydney was one of the hardest workers. So he was captain and won a Brownlow, but you just gravitate towards the respect. So what you can do, that tr- you trust them because you know they're working hard. So when they're going through a rough patch, it's not through lack of effort or them doing something off-field that's wrong or their diet or their sleep or whatever the case may be. So you tend to put the arm around them more, more and have find out more about them. It's the ones that, you know, might be drinking during the week and, and you go, oh, so you probably ride them a bit harder where maybe it needed to be a bit of an arm around the shoulder as well. It's just, it's interesting, but on the football front, it, generally when a player's going through a tough period, you're probably there to support. I noticed a couple of weeks ago, that, or three or four weeks ago, and the media, a couple of media people phoned me up about Taylor Walker from Adelaide, who was really struggling. And they said, what would you do with him? Because they were calling for his head. And I said, well, it's more about having a chat with him. And this, I think, is what I learned over a period of time and have a, have a talk and find, especially if they've got credits in the bank or they've played for a while, find out what they think is best for them. And I've even done with some younger players. What do you think is best for you to be able to get your form back, to get your confidence back? What do you think it's best? Now, the options are we keep working on the, hard on the track and I, there's no substitute for hard work. If you keep staying on the side, I'll give you certain goals to reach, which are quite achievable, don't tell them this, but quite achievable. And then you tick that off, the result will look after itself. Or if your confidence that shot, do you need to go back to reserves? So what I'm asking you is, Taylor, is, you know, we'll do what's best for you. Now, it'll come to a point if it continues, you now we'll probably need to make a selection issue. But I don't think it's at that stage yet because your confidence is down. So how can we get your confidence back up? And generally through hard work. So most players will say, listen, I'd like to fight the way through it with pride. Might come to a stage of having to make a tough decision on them. Some have said to me, no, I need, think I need to go back. I'm really struggling confidence-wise. And I've just defeated before I go out. So you probably get a sports psychologist to help them. But going back to the twos, and they get a couple of good games under their belt and the world's changed. And then you've got to try and take the pressure off them as well by don't have to be as good as they perceive them, what they think they've got to have an output. Interesting one for me was Tony Lockett. When I first started coaching, not that I was a great player, but it was an okay player, but I was good. I was lucky enough to be in a very good side. I just thought all great players just had the game covered. So they're okay, they're fine. Probably me as a coach, I don't need to worry about Tony and a few others. And then I had a disagreement with Tony early in my second year. His first year, we had a really good season. He played really well, reasonable relationship with him. And then his answer to me after we had a bit of argument, he said, oh, my expectation is I kick eight every week and I get three votes. So he's putting this enormous amount of pressure on himself. Before every game, he would vomit before every game and players would talk about it, laugh about it. But it was all about anxiety and about him putting so much pressure on himself. And I'm thinking, shivers, okay. Now that I know that, I need to be better at what I do when I talk to Tony Lockett. I need to, not that he'd ever let his guard down too much, but just to let him know that you're there and you know, help support him, how he can get around if he's ever down, which is period comes for every player. So that was another learning. You learn on the job that, okay, you can't take it for granted or don't make an assessment or assume anything with anyone and say, because I imagine you in the corporate world, you and Jim would probably think, well, that person doesn't talk much, so they're arrogant. I've done it myself when I've been working. Go. So you make assessments on people. They might, they might be insecure. They might have problems at home. They, there's a whole range of a raft of reasons why people may be the way they are. So it's, that's where you need to have that, develop that relationship and have a talk and don't talk about the job at hand, whether it's football or whatever, have, talk about something else. So there are issues. 
we can help, we're there for support. So it's a complex maze of emotions, isn't it, dealing with every day, and that's part of the coaching you take up. And I suppose a CEO or a manager or any company as well, you've got to take that on board. You can't just lock yourself in your office and be away from them. No, you need to be on the shop floor, exactly, talking to people, I think, and understanding the context that's driving the behaviour, particularly yeah. now with what's happening with COVID and the way that some people are reacting very positively. They're enjoying the time at home with their families. Other people, mm. not yeah. so much. And I think no, it right. results in different behaviours. Rodney, I'd like to go back to the water cooler if I could. It's such a common <laughs> issue, negative peer pressure um, or disruptive peer pressure. It's universal. But how have you managed to deal with it successfully through your coaching journey? Yeah, sometimes you didn't know what was going on, so probably not as successful probably early on. But you just try and, and that leadership group, you try and get a vibe on all types of things. Players generally will only win your mind if it, things aren't going well for them. One player at the Bulldogs who was quite a good player, and, but things weren't going well, so he was trying to recruit players to be on his side. Now, those players were smart enough to come and talk to me about it, so we're able to supersede that. And So it's, again, trying relationship with players and develop that culture that people have a form that they can voice. It's talking. Got to get across to them. It's not personal. People will take it personally, but it's not personal. It's about the team and about how. So if, if a player's been criticised for drinking out one night when he shouldn't have been or he's not training hard enough, they'll take that personally. But it's not a personal attack on them. They're still not a good person. I'm not saying you're a bad person. It's just saying this behaviour, we want you to get right because it's going to help us win games of football. Where it's going to help us sell more beer, or it's going to help us get more marketing opportunities, whatever the case may be. It's not saying you're a bad person. So, again, taking the feedback the right way. So, having that feeling, so hopefully, generate enough that players will talk to some coaches or talk to someone who will come to me and say, hang on, this is this is happening. So, it's about then having the chat with that person and say, listen, I understand you're not happy about a certain thing. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? And having that conversation. The best advice I can give about having a conversation with one, I wasn't very good at early, I learnt on the way, that we've got two ears and one mouth. So listen, whatever they're saying, you may not agree with, but don't interject and knock it down because they won't talk again. So just take it on board because that way it'll get you more understanding what how they think and what they're like. They're not going to change the world. That's okay. And then you don't want them to, but okay. And then you have a unemotional response to how you can work them through. They may just be happier that they've spoken about it and go away. You leave them with a couple of things to think about. Just leave a couple of little green sprouts, just sow the seed, and then you can go back to that the next time rather than try and solve everything. If you try and solve everything, then you'll get emotional. You'll get argumentative. You'll clip them or you'll you'll bump their, what they're saying and they won't put their head up again. So it's a bit of psychology. It is psychology. So as a coach, you're an amateur psychologist in many ways. These days, you talk a lot about mindset and approach to change in the work that you do with organisations. And I'm wondering if you could just talk about these two topics and what advice you've got for coaches in this area. Yes, change. I feel like using the word at the moment, agile. I suppose all business now have got to be yeah. agile. Yeah. All the buzz phrases are flexible. Yeah. But to me, I talk about leadership and change. Both words are scary to people. Leadership's scary to people who don't want to be a leader don't want knowing about it, and change. And generally, most people don't like change. I don't mind change. I like being flexible, even with my game plan, and change things around, and let's throw – you like that as well? So people throw things at me that change. I go, yeah, okay, cope with that. But a lot of people don't. 
A lot of players don't. A lot of players. So you've got to work out which one's which. But I reckon in both things, leadership and culture, let's alter the narrative. Leadership's about how you can influence. That's leadership. How you can influence, you can influence, you can be the quietest person who doesn't want to stand up in front of the group, who doesn't want a title, but you can influence people by your behaviours and how you go about it. End of story. You can. Positively and negatively. And I reckon change, we alter the narrative to improvement. So if you're, the biggest thing would have been people in the accounting or accounts or in the corporate world changing from manual documents to computers. Go to computers. Oh, no, we've done this around here for 20 years, for 30 years. Now, this is not the way we do it around here because they're scared They're scared of the change. And there'll be things now, technology is the thing that's changing the quickest. It's changing our world, how we see things, and a bit more open to it. But I can imagine the kids that are now 20, 25, when they get to 35, 40, they might like the acceleration of change that's going to happen then. They might have been stuck in what they were doing. So as a boss, as a manager, talk about okay, we're going to alter things, we're going to change things, but see it as a view how we can improve, how we can get better. It's about us getting better. This is what we're going to have to do because the opposition are doing something and if we don't change, we're going to be left behind. So if you don't do that, you'll actually slip back. You might stay the, If you stay the same, you're actually going backwards because your competitors are going forwards. They're going up the curve. So that's... My thing is have a try and get a. There's four types of mindset. The, the two main ones are growth and closed mindset. Closed mindset. No, I don't want to see anything. It's this is the way the world is. And that's a tricky one for a manager or a coach. How we can get people like that, but it's a consistent message about how we can get better. Encourage them to push the envelope. And if it doesn't work, I hate the word failure. But if it, they fall over, that's okay. What are the learnings out of it? It's no problem with that. That's no drama. What have we learned out of that? Okay, next time we can tackle it. We know we can get better in that area. So, again, it's a journey, not a destination with it. It's about learning and improving. And once they the close mindset, people get whacked and they make a mistake, they don't go back again. So it's about encouragement and pushing the envelope and the growth mindset. Once we say, okay, I didn't work, but what did I do wrong? Let me know. So they're seeking improvement. They're seeking feedback. They, they want to search for it and others just don't want to know about that. So it's about not embracing the change, but it's taking a different look of what change is. Most of it's sometimes the change we get, there's a lot of difference change. A lot of the change we get is in no control. We've got no control of change. We've given the COVID one, big curveball. The banking sector in Australia last year with the Royal Commission, that's a massive, massive curveball to people in that industry. But if it didn't except that it was changing, you're going to be left behind. Okay, what are the opportunities? Okay, it's not the world we know. As we know, the world's gone backwards a bit or there's not as much money, whatever the case may be. Okay, where are the opportunities for us to grow and get better? How can we gain an advantage out of this? Let's not lament. And so there's that type of change. You can have change from moving overseas, from moving interstate, changing houses, different people working next to me. I like my little team where Johnny and Mary have been with me for 10 years. One's got the sack and one's retired and go, Oh, I don't like, I can't cope with it. Oh, hang on. Let's, so we've got to, there's a whole range of different changes going on. And we've got to understand that and show we're there to care and support, but educate. Okay, we've got to move on. Now. So it's either looking for improvement, things are done where we're in control of, things that are not in our control is, okay, what are the opportunities going forward? Let's look at the solution and how we can get better. Rod, you had a reputation as being an innovative coach. You introduced the culture change at Sydney. 
you brought the, I'm going to use the simple term, the flooding technique, you know, numbers behind yeah. the ball, you quickly yeah. move it forward. It was very successful for you. What do you think stops more coaches from being innovative and embracing change? They don't innovate at all now. It was started to change a little bit, but now it's back to, it's all defence. It's all defence and that's where they go back to simplicity is they'd rather save a goal than score a goal. So they don't want any mistakes. So t- I've noticed teams who have been very creative and they scare teams, they have a bad day, goal scored against them, cost a game, they don't go back there. It's like, okay, let's go. You know, so frustrating. We're all going to make mistakes. John Kennedy had a great saying, which is so simple and it's like an investment. You spend a bit to make a bit. So you're not going to make anything unless you spend. And that's in innovation, as in effort, as in work rate, as in time. You've got to spend a bit. No good saying, oh, no, I don't want the downside. You've got to think about what the upside, and you're going to have some downside to it. So, But I think it's mainly defensive. It's a defensive mindset, scared of losing some teams still now, but certainly the last few years. They're trying not to lose rather than try to win. So it's and that gives you that mentality. If you try not to lose, you won't don't want to make mistakes, you'll just defend, and then hopefully they make the mistake and we can capitalize on that rather than trying to win and being proactive. And that's why I reckon Richmond, their game plan will hold them in good stead again because they're trying to score, they're defending well, but they're just going forward, they're taking ground, going forward. So many teams now go sideways and backwards and Consistent when you have to at times, but it's about it's interesting in our game. And Matthew Scarlett mentioned it last year, it was it's so true, and it probably happened to start happening the year before that. We used to defend, we still do, but defend when we haven't got the ball. The opposition got the ball, so we defend. Now we defend with the ball in hand, so we're going slow so we can set up our defensive mechanisms. If we turn it over, they can't score, so you're not going to score yourself. And I can't see how. Teams can't see the defensive mechanisms are that good that if you don't try and score, you are not going to score. You're going to end up with three and four goals, what's happening at the moment with some teams. They're, they're just trying not to score. But I think that's – so they're not innovative anymore. I don't want to innovate because it's got to have to take a risk. They're risk-averse. It comes back to spend a bit and make a bit. It's like not that I'm a gambler, but you've got to spend a bit if you make a bit. You've got to spend on an investment property and do it up to make a bit of money. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. So that's the mentality, really, in a simple format. Rod, you've been super generous with your time today. I'd like to just ask you one last question, if I can, and it's about legacy. And you're still actively coaching, and I'd like to know what you believe the legacy is that you're leaving or have left as a coach. I haven't really thought about that, Paul, to be honest. I'd like to think, have a legacy of hard work. Think I've always promoted, and coming back to your innovation, but think about football, think about why things are done, be your own coach and think about how you can do things better. Don't just worry about being told what to do. I found today's youngsters really a very narrow-minded learner. You teach them A and teach them B, you get to C and when you verbally, they forget about A and B and they just do what, you, what you've told them. Like, hang on, this is layers we're building. So, yeah, they don't think, because I've got a theory in that too, because <laughs> they've got Google and Siri and everything else like that, there's no problem solvers anymore. They've got everything's done for them. So they don't have to think. So, and I think that's a problem with younger people where we have to have to strategize or uh, think about what how we be problem solvers and we can get an answer. So more on that, just, just to stretch your mind, think about things. If you work hard enough, 
the, the great Gary player, the golf. A lot of people don't know where it's come from now. You use that often, but the harder you work, the luckier you get. So, so work at it. Try to improve. At the same time, there's no boundary that can hold you in. You know, it's limitless. Uh, expand it and have a go at it. Rodney E, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Jim. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to the great coach, Rodney Eade. Some of the key parts of the discussion for me were how you cannot compromise as a coach by not being honest, because eventually it will catch up with you. How, as the coach, strong relationships with the athletes allowed to understand the most effective way of giving feedback. His view that coaches need to help people develop the skill of taking and acting on feedback and his view that you are not just a team coach but a club coach and your role is to unite the playing group and the staff against a common vision and make sure they all then stay on the same page. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight and so if you can put us in contact with the great coach that you know has lessons to share on leadership and life, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.